All right. Great to be with you all this morning. Uh, this isn't our text for the day for today, but in light of what we just sang, uh, I wanted to read Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 24. And this isn't our text. Again, like I said, it just goes uh, quite well with the song, the hymn that we just sang. Hebrews 12, I'm going to start reading at verse 18. It says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the sword should not, I mean, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Hebrews 12, verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. And he says to the church, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who was registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So that, that's Hebrews 12. That passage came to mind as I heard that hymn there. And it tells us in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. And so it is with us. If you would turn your Bibles over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, our scripture reading for today's message will come from chapter 5, and it will be verses 1 through 11 as we look to God's Word together today as we continue our way through 1 Thessalonians, moving quite rapidly, I must say. Um, I think I've Okay, it's Dennis's fault, thankfully. Uh, you do have the PowerPoint for today, though, right? All right, good deal. All right, good. It's always the fault of the people in the sound booth, no matter what goes wrong. No, those folks work very hard back there, and I'm thankful for everything that they do to bless our congregation um, through their labor of love there in the sound booth. All right, we're at First Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. May God's blessings be upon the reading of His Word this morning to our hearts. Let's go to Him in prayer. Oh Lord, this side of eternity, I thank you that we are able to assemble and do so in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the mediator of the new covenant, the one whose blood we remember that was shed when we take of the Lord's Supper. And we know, Lord, that that blood had to be shed so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We come not in our merit, but in the merit and in the name of Jesus. Lord, it's because of Him that we gather. It's because of Him that we open this book and we hear from it. Now, as I seek to preach Your Word to Your people, I pray, Father, that Your Word would be used among us and that its purpose, Your purpose in it would be accomplished to form us into the people You'd have us to be. I pray, Lord, for all of us in all ages, from the oldest to the youngest. Father, I pray that your word would make an impact in our lives for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today, as you might expect, I'm going to share with you a message entitled Concerning the Times and the Seasons. And this goes right along with what we've been seeing already in First Thessalonians here in these last three messages. Because... Uh, uh, two messages ago on Sunday morning, we looked at the message that I entitled Concerning Brotherly Love. That was from chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. The next message was entitled Concerning Those Who Have Fallen Asleep. We looked at that last week, and it was from chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And now today, Concerning the Times and Seasons. And you can see why I've entitled it that. Because in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons. As I've already told you, Paul, that we know of, did not receive a letter from the Thessalonians. This was probably an oral report that Timothy gave him about some things that they were dealing with or that they had questions about. So Paul here is writing to them and answering some of those concerns that they have. And today's is concerning the times and the seasons. Now, if you think about this and look at, uh, think about last week, it makes really makes sense why they would be wondering about times and seasons. You remember what last week was about? Remember, we really saw four core points there. You see the return of Christ. You see the um, resurrection of the sleeping. You see the rapture of the remaining, and then the fourth major point there is the reunion of the saints. So there's this promise in chapter 4 of a reunion to meet the Lord. It's almost like we are gathered there to welcome the Lord as He returns. The dead have been raised. Those who are alive and remaining are caught up together with them in the clouds. And then we meet the Lord as He comes back in the air. 
And the natural response for any, anyone would be, when is this going to happen? How can we know when this is about to take place? Which is why, most likely, Paul here is writing to them concerning times and seasons. Now, uh, as we go into this next portion, I, I am not able to separate these events out. And I'll tell you why I'm not able to separate them out. And in chapter 4, you see at the end of verse 17, it says, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then in verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. All right? There's the promise there that they'll be with the Lord, and then you need to comfort each other with those words. If you go over to chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, you'll see that this next portion that he teaches them or writes them about ends in the same way. So because of that, it causes me to believe that he's talking about one major event here that's taking place. Right, so verse 10, chapter 5, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You see how he brings it back around? Well, in chapter 4, he said, Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Here he says, We should live together with him. And then in verse 11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Perhaps, folks, the Thessalonians have the question, when will we be with the Lord? When is this going to take place? When can we experience this? And then he comes right back around here in chapter 5. After dealing with times and seasons, there's nothing you can that can guarantee you that you'll know exactly when it's going to happen. But this is how you need to live, and the end result is we're going to be with the Lord. So I've only got three points for you, no sub-points. It looks a little anemic, I know, the outline, but if you want to take notes and fill in in between the lines, you can. The first thing that we're going to see today, and we're going to see three points, we're going to see the day of the Lord, we're going to see the sons of the day, and we're going to see the salvation of the sons. So the first point is this, the day of the Lord. And we're going to deal with that in verses 1 through 4. We're going to try to work our way through these verses. All right, so he says there in verse 1. Everybody got it? Everybody awake this morning? All right, chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, that's two different words for time. Both of these words can be used for time in general. The first word that is found there for times is, is generally used for time, kairos. The next one could be talking about a specific point in time. So Paul just says, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, you might want to write down a couple of references. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, because... We see here again that the disciples asked Jesus something similar to this. When he talks about the destruction of the temple, uh, when he's on the Mount of Olives, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? All right. Matthew 24, 3. The next reference is Acts chapter 1, verse 6. In Acts 1, 6, before Jesus ascended up into heaven, and this is after his resurrection, notice what the disciples asked him. 
They said, it says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then in verse 7, Jesus answered and said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. That's Acts chapter 1. Verses 6 and 7 is the reference to that. So just a, another a couple of places in the New Testament where we see this question that has to do with wanting to know when are these things going to take place. Now, also, I want to point out to you that what Paul says here in verses 1 and, one and 2 is similar to what he said in chapter 4, verse 9. Here in verse 1, he says, You have no need that I should write to you. If you go back over to chapter 4, verse 9, he says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write to you. And then he wrote to them about it. Here he says to them, You have no need that I write to you. And then he writes to them about it. You notice in verse 2, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, um, he will go on to speak more about the coming, the, the day of the Lord. But the thing that you might note, first of all, is that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. That's how it's going to happen. It's not going to be a time where you can nail it down. There's not going to be any date setters. Anybody who chooses a date and says the Lord is coming back on this day, let me tell you folks, just be sure he's not going to come back on that day. All right? Uh, The Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. No man knows the day or the hour. How many of you went around and checked your doors last night before you went to bed? Anybody? Most people do at some point. You have a routine. Why do you do that? Why don't you just... Say, I'm not going to worry about it tonight. Because you never know, right? So you're always checking. You're always checking your doors before you go to bed to make sure things are secure. Jesus, uh, as we see in this passage, is going to come as a, as a thief in the night. I looked this up, and it seems like no less than seven times in the New Testament, the, the Lord's return is compared to a thief coming, to a thief Or Jesus even says that he is coming like a thief in the book of Revelation. He says that to the church. Revelation 3, verse 3. Revelation 16, verse 15. So no less than seven times. Now, let's try to look at this and see how does a thief come. All right? So uh, we see, first of all, that he comes in the night. So he comes unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. That might be a word that you write down in relation to this. Unexpectedly. But we also see in verse 3, it says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord comes suddenly. It comes unexpectedly, but it also comes suddenly. And that suddenness is a sudden destruction that will come. We'll talk about that probably more in a moment. But the next word that you might write down in relation to this is the coming of the Lord is expected. He comes 
comes expectedly. But you just said he comes unexpectedly. He does. Comes at night. But he also comes expectedly, like a woman being pregnant. You know, when a woman is pregnant, she is what? She is expecting, right? She's expecting to bring forth a child. And we certainly have ladies that have brought forth many children here in our congregation. We're thankful for each one of them. We have ladies who are pregnant now. Um, I talked to Lauren before the service today. Make sure it's okay if I mentioned her. She's like within the two-week time frame here of being of expecting to bring forth a child so in a way also the the day of the lord is something that is expected when we look around the world among us that we dwell in it is something that is obvious that the lord god is going to return at least it is obvious for us but we see a fourth word it is unescapable, unescapable. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The day of the Lord comes with sudden destruction. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Over in Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine and ten, the Bible says, "These shall be punished." with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. You see in this the destruction. It is an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Jesus Christ is coming back and it is unescapable for those who have obeyed, who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will face Him in judgment one day. But for us, uh, it comes knowingly. Knowingly. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. You see, that's the thing about it. Jesus comes as a thief in the night, but he doesn't have to come to us like a thief in the night. Why? Verse 4, because we are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. And that, that's, the, that's the thing about it. And that's what Paul's about to get into here. As he talks about the sons of the day. Is that we do not have to be like the lost world who is in darkness. We do not have to be like the lost world when Christ returns and there's sudden destruction that comes upon them. It's not that way for the church. Because we are not in the night, we are not in darkness. We see because of the revelation of God in His Word, because of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, we can live our lives as people who understand and see what is going on around us, and that day does not take us, overtake us like a thief. Now, the second point is the sons of the day. We're going to deal with this in verses 5 through 8. In 
I tell you what, let's turn and look at one passage together before we go there. If you'll look at Luke chapter 12, because this is a good illustration for us of, uh, of what's really being taught here. In Luke chapter 12, verses 38 through 48. <clears throat> I don't know if I'll read all of this, but we'll read some of it anyways. Luke 12, verse 35. Luke 12, 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks that they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and come and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, And find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming. And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour when he is not aware. And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will. And did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But in verse 48, He who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Luke 12, I read the whole thing through verse 48. But we see in this that Jesus talks about the coming of the Son of Man and Him coming as a thief and the potential that they would not be ready. And now as we deal with this in 1 Thessalonians 5, we see that He wants the church to be ready. Uh, Because He says in verse 5, back in 1 Thessalonians, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So as we look at this, we see that we are sons of light, 
not of night. We are sons of day, not of darkness. And there's a lot of passages of Scripture that talk about us being in the light. Examples of that, Colossians 1.12. We are partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 1 Peter 2.29. He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Ephesians 5 verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So we are of light, not of night. And now we come to verse 6. And in verses 6 through 8, I want to give you, or 6 through 9, I want to give you three directives. Three directives that you can find right here in the text for how we're to live out our lives as believers anticipating the coming of the Lord. The first directive is this. Let us not sleep. Verse 6. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That's the second one. Let us watch and be sober. So the first two directives that Paul gives to the church, not only in that day in Thessalonica, but now today at New Life Baptist Church, anticipating the coming of the Lord is that let us not sleep, but let us watch and be sober. Now, if I were to take the rest of our time today, or if I were to to take this watch and be sober phrase and list out all the different scriptures where watch is listed in the New Testament or be sober is listed in the New Testament, we would use up the rest of our time. We wouldn't make it any further through this passage. It's something that is found quite often in the New Testament. If you've read the New Testament very much, you're aware of that. An example of that, in Mark 13, he said, Watch and pray, for you do not know. Um, And then in Mark 14, Watch and pray, lest um, you fall into temptation. Uh, And there's many, many other places. But here he's telling us, basically... Watch means to be awake, to pay attention. Be awake, pay attention. We're not of those who sleep. To be sober means to be self-controlled. To be ready for action. And acting responsibly while awake. Alright? That makes sense when you think about the word sober. To act responsibly while you are awake. Because you've got two different things here. You've got a This person sleeping, when you're sleeping and the thief comes, you're vulnerable, aren't you? If you are drunk when the thief comes, you are vulnerable. And here he's telling them, telling Christians to watch and be sober, to be paying attention, and then to be responsible while you are awake. In 1 Peter 4 verse 7, he uses this word watch, and he uses it in reference to prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he uses the word sober. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. The second directive is, let us watch and be sober. Think about Otis from the Andy Griffith Show. Everybody knows Otis, right? The town drunk? 
He'd get drunk, he'd come in, lock himself up, sleep it off. Otis wasn't much good. He could be taken advantage of pretty easily in that drunken state that he was in. But when he was sober, he was much better off. That's the idea there. A drunkenness to where you're not aware, where you can't control yourself well, or what others might do to you, or being sober that is being responsible and aware of your surroundings. Now, the third directive is found in verse 8, and it's let us who are of the day be sober. Again, he repeats it. So verse 7 says, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let us who are of the day be sober. Now what do you do as someone who is sober? Well, according to this passage, you wear certain attire. And he gives here some of the imagery of a soldier, of a sentry, as someone who is standing guard. Notice what he says in verse 8. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, as we look at this, we see the Christian graces again come up. Do you see the three Christian graces in this? It's faith, and it's love, and it's hope. If you'll go back to chapter 1, verse 3, and I hope you guys kind of remember this, in chapter 1, where he talked about these Christian graces being evidenced in the life of the Thessalonians. But in verse 3 of chapter 1, he had given thanks to God always for them all, making mention of you in our prayers. And in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of what? Work of what? Faith, your labor of love and your patience of hope uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of our God and Father. Now here in chapter 5, he's saying to them, even though he sees these evidences already in their lives, he's saying to them, be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, to speak briefly about this armor... Uh, Faith is probably faith toward Christ that works for Christ in good works toward others. Love is toward Christ that labors in love toward one another. And this hope in Christ secures us and keeps us looking expectedly to the future and the redemption of our bodies when Christ returns. Uh, These three protect us. They um, keep us from harm. And without these, we are dead meat in the tribulations and the trials that are here on this earth that we face. He tells us as Christians, put on the breastplate, because this faith and love protects the spiritual man. And this hope of the helmet of salvation protects us in our mind as we live out our lives 
here upon this earth because we have a hope that is beyond this life. A hope that will not change. It is a hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we're not sleeping, but we are ready. We're sober and we're awake. And that's going to bring us to our third point and to the next verse. With this third directive of let us who are of the day be sober and putting on these Christian graces, we are to do this because we are because of the salvation of the sons that's found in verses 9 through 11. Why? Two reasons. God's, God's appointment for us. And the second reason is because of Christ's death for us. Why can we put these on? Because of, Christ, of God's appointment for us. And secondly, because Christ's Death for us. Because in verse 9 he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10 he says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together. With him. So the appointment of God, the word appoint here means to set or put in a new position or to bring about a new arrangement. It's the same word that's used in 1 Peter 2 8 for those who stumble over the gospel. It says, For they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. There is a particular appointment by God for us. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said in verse 4, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And here he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath. So he did not appoint us for destruction, the destruction that comes from the Lord, but He appointed us to be delivered from this wrath through Jesus Christ. We see two different aspects here. We see destruction for the unbelieving. We see salvation for the believing. We, de- we see destruction for those who were not appointed. We see salvation for those who were appointed. God did not appoint us to wrath. But He appointed us to do what in verse 9? What did He appoint us to do? To do what? Receive salvation or to obtain salvation? Salvation works in this way. It works in a past, present, and future tense. We have been saved, justified by faith in Christ. We We are being saved... That means we're being sanctified. We're currently being saved. But there's a future tense to it, just like it's a future tense to it here, to obtain salvation. We will one day be saved when Christ returns and our bodies are resurrected if we die before then. 
or are caught up with them in the clouds, whichever, but we are going to be saved. So there's a future tense and we will be glorified. So in salvation, there's justification, sanctification, and then finally glorification when Christ returns. The three tenses of salvation have been saved, are being saved, will be saved. Here he says to them that you've not been appointed to wrath, but you, but to you have been appointed to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And why can Christ Jesus save us? Because he died for us. His substitutionary work on the cross to save sinners. Folks, that's where the gospel comes into all this. Because Jesus' death, burial, resurrection on the third day, because of what Christ has done, He saves us through those who believe in Him. I want to ask you to turn to a passage in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 6, it says there, if you follow along as I read aloud. Romans 5, verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath, from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Did you notice how it emphasizes in there that Christ died? That Christ died for us. That through Him we are saved. We've been saved from the wrath of God Through Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this morning, church, that whatever you may be thinking about salvation, whatever you may be thinking about wrath, and however good you may think that you are, you are not good enough. Your righteousness will not make it on that day. Nothing about you and of yourself will save you from the wrath of God. The only thing that can save us from the wrath of God is Jesus Christ. In His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, it's only through Jesus that it can be said, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, it's in Christ and in Him alone. And if this morning you are without that Savior, Jesus Christ, if you this morning are lost and dead in your trespasses and sins, flee to Jesus, run to Jesus, who is able to save you. 
He gave His life to save sinners. And if you this morning know that you are a sinner and that you are destined for the wrath of God, everlasting destruction, then today I beg you and I plead with you, be reconciled to God through Jesus, who alone can save us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, um, he says in verse 10, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. I want to leave you with this as we close today. You know, when I first looked at this wake or sleep, I thought, well, he's talking about what he just talked about in chapter 4. You know, if you're, if you're awake, if you're alive and remaining, that's what the wake means. And if you're asleep, or if you sleep, that means you're dead physically. You're a Christian who's dead in the grave. So in my first reading of that, I thought, well, that goes back to chapter 4. He's not talking about this immediate context. And then I thought, Eric, if you interpret it that way, you're not really being fair with how you would interpret anything else. Now, that might be the right interpretation. But he, al- he also might be saying here, in these two passages, first of all, he might be saying, number one, that if no matter what your physical condition is as a Christian, you will not miss out on being with the Lord. He might be saying here, and I say might, I mean it when I say might. He might be saying here in this second part, no matter what your spiritual condition is as a Christian, one who's been appointed and one for whom Christ has died and you've been saved through the gospel, he might be saying here, no matter what your spiritual condition is, whether you wake or sleep, you will live together or we should live together with Him. Are there other passages to go along with that? There actually are some other passages. How would that be comforting to the Thessalonians? Because what they end up realizing is that, hey, my salvation is not based upon my performance. My salvation is not based upon my faithfulness. But ultimately, my salvation is based upon the fact that God has appointed and Christ has died. And He is the one who saved me. And He is the one who keeps me for all of eternity. John Stott said, gave some comments that may be helpful. He says, it is helpful to bring the apostles' two statements together. First, God appointed us to receive salvation. Secondly, Christ died for us that we might live. Thus, our future salvation depends on God's purpose and our future life on Christ's death. Our hope of salvation is well-founded, therefore. It stands firmly on the solid rock of God's will and Christ's death, and not on the shifting sands of our performance or feelings. The ultimate reason why we should be bold rather than faint-hearted in anticipation of the parousia lies not in who we are, children of the day and of the light, but 
on who God is as revealed in the cross, the giver of salvation and life. And with that, comfort each other. Build one another up. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Father, that you'd bless your word. As I've tried to preach it to the best of my ability this morning in the time that we have. And Lord, I do pray that the gospel has been clearly proclaimed and that any lost sinner who's here, Lord, will understand that Christ died for sinners and that He rose again on the third day and He saves those who come to Him. But Lord, let us who are saved not sleep. But Father, let us not be like those who are of the night, but let us be, Father, as those who are of the day. Be watchful and sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.